and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and once again we are delving into the world of AEW pay-per-views. Uh, this past Sunday was AEW Revolution, the second iteration of that pay-per-view event, headlined by the exploding barbed wire death match for the AEW World Championship, uh, pitting Kenny Omega champion against challenger uh, John Moxley. So we're unpacking that event here today alongside the uh, editor of Fan Fight over at Fanbyte, Colette Aaron. Um, Colette always coming back on the show to discuss everything all elite <laughs> when it com- or at least when it comes to the pay-per-views um so yeah that that's it's a fun conversation and and it'll be a good one to get into and just kind of unpack this this show this um a show that is likely i mean it already is infamous in a lot of ways based off of one moment the last image of the show but um there's so much more to talk about around this you know and we get into all of it here um but before we get to that conversation i do want to take just a second and um kind of share some thoughts around some stuff that's been happening around pro wrestling this week most notably the situation that we've seen kind of bore out in New Jersey around Synergy Pro Wrestling and uh, its owner, um, Patrick Shea, uh, of course known to most of the wrestling world previous to this week as Colin West. Um, Obviously, you know, Tara Calloway um, posted her her, uh, social media posts and, you know, kind of alerted everyone out there to the fact that Shea... um, was a registered sex offender and had been based concealing that his identity to everyone that he worked with in pro wrestling. And there were a lot of people that felt betrayed and hurt and disgusted and, you know, were feeling a lot of guilt around being involved with Synergy Pro shows and, and other sh- and other shows that um, Shay had been a part of. I know Tara had mentioned something about... Um, you know, him being involved with dropkick depression and how that, in her eyes, taint, at least at that moment, tainted her entire charity in her eyes. But, you know, like so many people have said online, you know, this doesn't reflect back on the people that worked with Shay that didn't know what was going on there and what who he was and, and the fact that he was hiding all of this. Um you know, I mean, I look at the multiple wrestlers been out there saying like he would basically only use Colin West as a name around for wrestling, even like, you know, signing off on payments um, with that name. So it, it's just a really sucky situation, um, to say the least. That's not even the right. That's not a powerful enough word for it, honestly. It's it's just terrible. Synergy Pro is gone. Shay just like deceived so many and, you know, especially not even a year removed from speaking out and, you know, being one of the voices, lending his voice to, like, talking about cleaning up the industry from um, abusers and and predators and that sort of thing. And and to say all of that and know that you are actively concealing this part of you um, from the wrestling world, that's just... It's a hard thing to sit with, 
in retrospect now. Um, I'm glad to see that a lot of the wrestlers and, and other talent that were involved with Synergy are kind of getting some some help. I know Tiger Driver put together something, you know, um, Matt down at Action Wrestling and Tony Depp and have been trying to get in touch with a lot of those people for, you know, whatever was going to be running in Tampa. But that all is, is fine and dandy. The wrestling world will keep going from this, but we need to take the lesson from this. And, um, you know, I don't know, like, so many, there's been a lot of debate about background checks and that sort of thing, but background checks isn't, that's not the end-all be-all of this. Like, it's it's really about just vigilance and trying to make sure that the people that are allowed to be in this industry um, are the kind of people that we want representing this industry. And, you know, I know Shay said that his really his only goal in wrestling was to bring joy, but you you can't you can't do that and and hide these sort of things from from the rest of, of the the world that you're trying to um prop up and, and support. It's just it can't. You know. It it's just it's, it's, it was just a really hard thing to see after so much so much work has been put in and granted it's not enough you know we I've said multiple times on this show it's just, the movement post speaking out has not been enough but there has been good work and this whole situation with Patrick Shea just kind of brings that conversation back up and wrestling needs to change and you know whether you're a fan or a worker a promoter producer whatever you want to call it if you're involved in this industry you have to be part of that change um, and yeah it, it's a collective thing and we just have to keep pushing you just have to keep pushing, and hopefully these stories will be fewer and far between, and to the point where they're hopefully not stories that we have to tell, because there's so much good in this industry. There's so much great about pro wrestling that we just we don't need these these figures and these storms around it. We don't. And a lot of the things said about Shay can also be said about um, other people. Chase and Rance, first and foremost. Um, but, I don't know. That's that's where we're going to leave that for now. Um, you know, here, us here at the show, we'll keep monitoring everything as it, as it happens. But um, let's get to my conversation with Colette Aaron all about AEW Revolution. No real good way to, to segue between those two things. Sorry. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring. And once again, we are diving into all elite wrestling this week. AEW Revolution happened this past Sunday, uh, which also happened to be my birthday. So this was my birthday present to myself. And uh, I think I 
well, I'll, we'll get into the main event a little bit later, but I made the joke that my birthday can the candles on my birthday cake were more life threatening than the final explosion that we saw at the end of this pay-per-view and my b- birthday cake didn't have any candles on it. So, um, if that explains anything about this, but there's plenty other to talk about AEW Revolution, and here to do that with me today, as always, uh, from Fanbite, Colette Aaron. Colette, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How are you? I I am doing all right. I'm doing pretty good. Um, I am ready to talk about this show because I've had it like bouncing around my head for three days at this point. Yeah, me too. There's a lot that I can't stop thinking about. Um, <laughs> So, so yeah, um, I, I am down, down to talk. We can, we can work some things out. Like it's therapy or something. Yo, I am, I, this is, you know what? This is the kind of therapy I need. I'm missing my group therapy session to talk about wrestling. So, <laughs> oh, I don't want to hear that. Oh no, it's all right. Okay. I'm new. I'm new to it. I haven't, I, I it's okay. I can miss a day. <laughs> okay. Okay. I just want to be sure. I made that decision of my own volition. Um, but yes, uh, AW revolution main evented by the, uh, Exploding barbed wire death match between AEW champion Kenny Omega and John Moxley, um, also featuring tag team championship match between the Young Bucks and Chris Jericho and MJF, and a slew of other matches as well uh, in there. And of course, the the women's world championship match, uh, Hikaru Shida versus uh, Ryu Mizuzaki. Uh, oh God, I almost messed up her name yeah. right off my mouth. Ryu Mizunami. There we go. Oh. Um, so there was some like some fun matches scheduled for the show, and then some others that you know I don't necessarily know if they had the same kind of fire going into it. But we'll we'll get yeah. into all of it here. But there I, were fun matches, and then there were matches. They were scheduled for the show. <laughs> what were your uh, feelings heading into the pay per view? Like seeing the build to a lot of to, to the matches on the show. Like what what was your feeling going into the show? Um. Generally speaking, like I feel as though the build of the pay-per-view was pretty scattershot. Um, like for one, you know, the show was main evented by a, a barbed wire, you know, exploding ring deathmatch. And there were like also there was a street fight, there was a battle royale, there was a ladder match, there was, you know, like a tournament final. Like it's just like one of those things where like, you know. It, the pay-per-view felt over gimmicked in a way that was compensating for a, a real lack of of like mid-card storylines like here's Darby Allen and Sting like you know wrapping up their like uh 40 year program <laughs> with Team Taz so because there's no TNT title match which is fine because that's a title for a television network anyhow like we're gonna have a ladder match that you know some people had to qualify for and some people were just named it's just all over the place um like in general and you know like if you if you wanted to keep track of the women's title match like there was no storyline to it even though during the match they they made a big deal out of the fact that like you know Hikaru Shida had never beaten Ryo Mizunami before um but like you know you had to like track down like the tournament matches that got like someone who is a relatively unknown figure in American wrestling into like one of the main matches on a pay-per-view. So like, it just, it felt like a lot of things were, were kind of scattershot. Like, you know, like, does anyone really care that the young bucks have a family? I don't like, I get it. Like y'all have a dad and you're on speaking terms with your dad. That's cool. Um, he makes terrible themes. So I guess something bad had to happen to him at some point. Um, 
so like that's like that's where I was with it was just like eh, like you, it felt like a B tier like WCW pay per view mm. like actually kind of like a lot like uncensored where like every match has like different rules um, and like sometimes that's that means that there's like you know an unexpected banger but a lot of times it means that that you end up like fairly disappointed with your choice of how to spend your time and money and like. I, I wouldn't say that I wound up disappointed because like, you know, it is what it is like a, a, a lackluster pay-per-view is, is a lackluster pay-per-view. I liked it more than I like most WWE shows still. Um, but like, if you asked me if it wasn't for the fact that the main event ended the way that it did and we were doing this right now and you asked me what I thought of the pay-per-view, I don't know that I would remember any of it. Mm. I just don't like I don't know. The biggest storyline going into this was Shaq and Cody, and it ended three days before the pay per view. Um, and like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa were the other two people who had like a long term storyline that like wasn't Mox versus Omega, but even that was like subsumed by like Good Brother stuff. Like it's just you know it's not for me. Like the the build for all of this stuff wasn't for me. There's glimmers and glimpses at at a at a positive future, um, but yeah it's it's one of those things where it's like i i i was looking more forward to to these storylines ending because i wanted them to end and not because they were going to end in a satisfying manner mm. i mean you're not wrong I, I i agree with you definitely that that the the booking in the lead up to the show was was scattershot it felt very directionless at times a lot about the show just like you said just felt like a lot of gimmick matches thrown in for gimmick match sake i i honestly feel like the face of the revolution ladder match was simply there because they didn't get the cody shack uh and red velvet and jay cargill match on pay-per-view because uh, of, yeah because of, so. yeah which obviously that's shack was at the nba all-star game couldn't make it there on sunday night so that's why they put that on on dynamite on wednesday but um but yeah like really the story nothing symbolizes the build to this show more than that aw women's world title eliminator tournament because that is the personification of scattershot booking in a lot of ways and and under cooked booking because the like they had events on all different days all different platforms um there really was no like streamlined attention to making sure that that you're putting all of these these women in front of the like the major audience for the show i mean i to my knowledge i think the only like one or two i think three. two of the matches three of the matches were on dynamite four of the matches were on dynamite the rest were on youtube and bleacher report um which included the entire japanese half of the bracket mm-hmm for the most part so like it just felt like especially if you're going the route to have uh, Mizunami be the challenger I don't understand why you put the majority of her performance in the tournament on a platform where you're not putting it in front of the most eyeballs for people to get familiar with her and for people to have build up some interest in that match outside of just having her face Nyla on the the go-home dynamite which that was a great match like mm-hmm. at least that was a great match um it was nice to see vicky guerrero back i guess um that's like another like again scattershot booking like in the tournament itself vicky guerrero appeared zero times and was mentioned maybe twice until she 
showed up for the tournament finals on dynamite like it's like all right guys like a little bit of consistency would be would be dope um particularly when it comes to the women's division but yeah like it was kind of all over the place like a lot of that like placeholders like you know as much as i love adam page like the the big money match build like just feels like they're stalling on stuff that like people want like people want more adam page dark order stuff but instead like here's the worst matt hardy gimmick like (laughs) please (laughs) please um you like it's yeah so that and you know i like i almost feel like they have to rebuild orange cassidy again like after the build to this like orange and chuck taylor versus miro and kip sabian match like it's just like it's a lot of curious decisions um but yeah i don't know like i i guess that's something we can we can talk about while we we go through these matches individually oh for sure for sure and we'll start at the very beginning on the buy-in we had our pre-show match um where we had the you know we were promised surprises on this show but i don't think any surprise was as vibrant as uh maki ito making her uh debut stateside for AEW in the opening tag match, teaming up with Britt Breaker DMD against the team of Thunder Rosa and Riho. I, 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 Maki Ito, along with, with Vinny, I think were the two people I was most excited for being in the, the Eliminator tournament. Mm-hmm. And to see both of them go out in the first round was frustrating to me personally. I know like they had their story to tell, but you know, the two people that excite me the most in that, in that bracket um, being gone was frustrating, but this, like, this was a perfect way to introduce Maki into uh, the AEW like sphere per se. Um, and the match was f- a lot of fun. Yeah, I would agree with that for sure. Like, honestly, Maki Ido's debut is the the best thing about the show to me. Um, like, I I love her. Uh, I I think that she is like one of the most engaging wrestlers on the planet. Like I, I, I tweeted this and it wasn't a joke. Like, I think that she's going to be the women's champion by like August um, because like she's, she's a runaway train. Like you look at her and you can't not like be sucked in by her presence, by, you know, her charisma. Like it's, it's one of those things where like, she's just undeniable. Um, and like, you know, Britt Baker, probably one of the most improved wrestlers over the last year. Uh, definitely like still, I think like one of AEW's top heels in general, uh, Riho being back is great. Thunder Rosa being in, you know, an exceptionally prominent position in AEW is great. Like between that and like the, the women's championship match, like it's like, it's one of those things where like, you know, for the 1800th time, here's like a tease of how great this division can be potentially if it's given the focus and the care and attention that should be given to it. Um, but like I said, in, um, in one of my reviews of the first two nights of the eliminator tournament, like it, it feels like praising them for doing something correctly or good, um, like opens the door for them to be satisfied and like not do anything with it. So it's like a thing in progress, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, I want this to work so bad. Like I really do. And I think that Maki is going to be like, if she is, you know, hashtag all elite, like I didn't see a graphic go up, like, like for Ethan page or, or Christian. Um, 
like if she's sticking around for a while like she's going to be huge and like i i want the platform upon which she plies her trade to be deserving of it and i want that for everyone in the women's division i want it for nyla like i want it for um riho and hikaru shida and Rio mizunami like i hope that she stays around who like because it would suck if she was just brought in for two matches and then sent back <laughs> to japan uh like you know like i i want all of these women to enjoy the same benefit that like you know a jungle gets um or like you know a luchasaurus or like any of those like frankly like despite how much more national tv exposure any of these like they have than than like the women's division are at a similar level like you know everyone who's not in the main event title picture like of either men's championships are a project they're all project wrestlers the, the promotion year old um the women's division is a project division and like i i want it to be given the same amount of attention as you know the varsity blondes or whatever um and if this is the first step in that like seeing the universal positive acclaim towards someone that they brought in from japan like then then that's great um i thought this match was was awesome i it should have been on the main show uh, I can think of four matches that could have been put on the pre-show instead. I won't name them, but um, like, you know, it, like, it was surprise of the night. It was the best debut of the night. It was the best, like, I don't know if it was the best match of the night. It's either that or, or uh, Shida versus Mizunami um, for me, but um, it was great. I, I loved it. Uh, I, I want more of everyone involved as always. <laughs> no, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I really enjoyed this match as well. Um, I, I think that, like, it, it was also great to have four women that either have a long-term issue going or have history with one another um, interacting in this match. You know, because obviously Maki and Thunder Rosa have a past. Maki and Riho have a past, you know, over in Tokyo Joshi Pro. And then you have the Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa rivalry that's continuing. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm excited to see the, the trios match this coming up on Wednesday. And um, I don't know. I hope that they stick around as well, because I think that you have, you clearly have a strong foundation for this division. You just need to give it time and space and 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 like um god I, the word escapes me at the moment but um you need to like curate it a bit more you need to make sure that it's out there for for people to see because people want it you know and that's really the if you if you want to have a strong women's division you have to give it time and you have to let it let it do its thing out there so yeah um but yeah like uh Britt Baker and, and Maki Ito get the win here um, in a fun opener. And that leads us into the pay-per-view proper, which kicked off with uh, the tag team championship match with the Young Bucks defeating Chris Jericho and MJF and retaining their AW tag team championships. Um, the open, the opener was fun. It was, it was okay. It was, I don't, I don't know if I'm as hot on it as others are, but it was a, it was a good opening match. Um, as a Young Bucks match goes, it was um, very much a Young Bucks match in a lot of ways. Um, uh, a whole lot of hot tags, 
whole lot of uh, <laughs> running wild on some people. So many um, hot tags that you have to question how many of them were truly hot. Right. <laughs> Um, but at the same time, like Jericho and MJF really, um, really brought it in this match. A lot of fun counters out of the Meltzer driver um, in in there. Uh, I don't know. Like, I don't I, like I said, I don't think the match worked as well as it did for others mm-hmm. for me. But at the same time, like it was a it was a good hot opener for the most part. Yeah, I mean, the thing that I will say about like to go back to the idea of, of the build is like the the hype video for this that they played four thousand times um like they kept being all like this could have been wrestling feud 101 and it's like that's that's one of the things that i really hate about the young bucks is like you know they're obviously extremely talented they're very good at what they do but like they they feel like wrestling for like wrestling fans who are like deep inside the matrix um and like it it always leaves me feeling hollow um even though like you know i thought that the shot of like you know papa buck getting thrown into the truck and like having his blood on the faces of his kids like that was that was great but for this going from wrestling feud 101 to being like a personal like you know whatever it didn't feel like a personal vendetta like it, it felt like a normal wrestling match um it was it was good, but like you said, it's a Young Bucks match. And and that's one of the most fascinating things about the Young Bucks to me is that like, no matter who they wrestle, they wrestle a Young Bucks match. Like there's, there's not a ton of variation. Like the Melter Driver counters are cool, but like that's a big part of a Young Bucks match anymore. Um, and even that, like, I don't know, I'm not a big fan of the Melter Driver. Like it never looks like the X Factor part of it adds much heat to the tombstone. Um, <laughs> yeah which you know whatever suspension of disbelief and whatnot but like all of like the cool like heel shenanigans and whatnot it's like all right like this is this is a match and like i i can't vibe with the young bucks as as baby faces so like where does that where does that really leave me um it leaves me with well i guess max is going to move forward with this planet to take over the inner circle uh based on the the post-match promo that happened uh where we're going to have yet another uh inner circle segment that has a name as long as a japanese death match <laughs> um, but you know this one should actually be significant as opposed to them just flipping people off and telling them nothing's going to change so that's good yeah and hopefully we won't have uh the wrestling personality from barstool sports show up as well so yeah i didn't like I, I don't know. I, I think that I fast forwarded or like slept through that press conference. Like none of the wrestling media people there were particularly interesting. Like, it's like, Oh, cool. By wrestling media for people who have a dumb podcast. Gotcha. <laughs> um, nice. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, hopefully, hopefully there won't be anyone there to ask any questions. Cause uh, the, the press conference angle in AEW is is vastly overplayed at this point yeah for for sure and I, I don't know I couldn't get that that as soon as they announced like the war council meeting the first thing that popped in my head was the press conference and is how like uh just how bloated it felt in, in a yeah. lot of ways and just like I don't I know I don't need to see Eric Bischoff on AEW TV anymore like nope. I'm I'm good I've had I had had my feel of Bischoff for a long yeah. time once was enough 
Yeah. Um, but yeah, we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, obviously it very much looks like MJF is going to take over the inner circle here very shortly. And uh, we'll see how that whole blow up plays out. Um, but we know who is going to be challenging the, the Young Bucks next for the Tag Team Championships, though, because our next match was the Tag Team Battle Royale. The Casino. Uh, the Casino Battle Royale. Oh, Lord. Okay, so I, I will say this. They at least tweaked the rules of the Casino Battle Royale, finally. Um, for, like, based off... Obviously, the previous iterations of this match had people coming out five at a time until we had our Joker at the end. This time yeah. around, the cards are gone. None of it's, the, the branding. It's the Royal Rumble. Exactly. It's a tag team Royal Rumble where the main difference is that both members of the team have to be eliminated as opposed to, say, WWE rules where one member is eliminated, the entire team's gone. Um, and Lord, were there a lot of tag teams in this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they would have gone with WWE rules, they could have saved us a lot of time. They could have. <laughs> i say that. This was the longest uh, match on the card. Yeah. Uh, and, and so much of it. Like, really, until the last four people, it felt like a 1980s battle royale. Yeah, I, I, I'm definitely with you on that. A lot of a lot of bloat, but honestly, it really felt like this was a match to get a lot of people on the card, which is, I, it's okay, I guess, but at the same time, like, what are you going to do with that? And, like, there were a couple of storytelling moments within the match. You know, you saw QT Marshall finally blow up on Dustin somewhat, and we might have the it breakup of the, for the viewers nightmares. of Dark. I'm sure that everyone who watches Dark was really into that. <laughs> exactly. You know, SEU got got out of the dark zone as well for a little while. Um, and then, uh, I don't know, the gun club was there. The pretty I didn't realize there was a that Peter Avalon and Cesar Bononi were a tag team now. They um, were, like, I think they were a team on dark once and then against like cody and someone else oh against cody and um oh who's the guy who like just got his first win like that was his first oh win. lee johnson yeah lee johnson shoddy uh big shoddy uh yeah, big like the thing about cesar benoni though is he is probably the worst wrestler on the AEW roster oh my god yes <laughs> he, he can't throw a punch or a back chop or a kick or walk well like i i he looks like somebody like i know that he was in uh nxt like at least developmental for a while but like nobody taught him how long his limbs are like <laughs> i wanted him to make it all the way because it was amazing watching him try to navigate a ring that had like seven people in it at once with his like you know f like 60 inch long arms like trying to throw a punch like it was crazy um he was he was an entertaining part of it um I, like you know obviously the dark order was fun like all three teams that they had in it even though like if you're a stable that has three teams in a in a tag team battle royale and, and don't win that doesn't really speak very highly of you um which is crazy because like everyone has the utmost goodwill for dark order now like everyone loves dark order and wants them to do very well yeah um but yeah, like outside of like stuff like that, it was like, all right, like this is time and space. Like you said, it seemed like a thing to get people on the card, which is also true of the ladder match, frankly. Like, yeah, usually when when you're doing something that just gets people on the card, that's what the pre-show is. 
um, like Britt Baker and Thunder Rosa had weeks of build. They had one of the main matches on Beach Break. Like that could have been a pay per view match just based on the fact that they'd been feuding forever. Um, you know, tag team battle royale. That sounds like a good thing to put on the pre show. Like it's not too difficult. Like why is like I, I don't know. Like it's just like you know, outside of the fact that the final four was pretty spectacular particularly John Silver and Pac and also um, Ray Phoenix and Jungle Boy's sequence. Like it just, it, it felt like it was eating time that did not. Yeah, it, it definitely felt, felt that way for the majority of it. There were some, some fun spots. Like obviously like it was, it was fun to see Luchasaurus in front of a crowd again and, and sort of get some of his, his, uh, fanfare back i really enjoyed watching bear country in, yeah. in this match like bear country like that's a team you know we've been watching and beyond for a while now and it's been great to see them kind of burst onto the aw scene a little bit here and get some good fun like just hoss spots in the middle of this match yeah I, like now that you're mentioning them like i guess the other thing that i like instead of avalon and benoni like i probably would have thrown the bateri in there um even though that's not what they're going by anymore <laughs> uh, but they'll they'll always be a barian and kodama to me <laughs> uh you know like you know they've been they've been on dark and they've been doing stuff lately like that would have been the dark team that i would have highlighted like not, not pretty pete unfortunately like i i hate being down on pretty pete but uh he's i don't know that, that gimmick doesn't do it for me <laughs> uh, like more so than the librarian i guess uh but yeah like there was there was some okay stuff going on um but yeah i i think that obviously like the highlights are you know the stuff involving Pac and phoenix and and jungle boy and like uh john silver like mm-hmm. i want to see a ray phoenix jungle boy singles match and i want to see a Pac john silver sing- singles match um the young bucks versus Pac and phoenix probably going to be pretty good um particularly if you like flippy boy style wrestling um which you know you got two masters of it three masters of it and like you know pog is also a master of it but in a way that's like much more measured and and mean looking um so he's like on another level like pog is the best wrestler in the world phoenix is the best high flyer in the world and the young bucks are pretty good so that's going to be something to see yeah, for sure. I I am excited to see that match, and I I think I'm more excited though for that for a potential John Silver Pac match personally. Same. Like that that match, just their exchange. Um, I'll maybe forget about the rest of this match, honestly. And like, yeah, yeah the, the finishing sequence with with Phoenix and Jungle Boy was fantastic as well. But John Silver and and Pac like that that whole just oh god the the similar body types. The, the similar styles, but yet Pac still has that high-flying aspect to him. I just, I, I need it very much in my life, and and I hope that eventually Pac does, not necessarily separates with, from Death Triangle, but t- gets another singles run, because Pac has world world champion written all over him. I think that they're going, like, I think they're going to, it's just that, like, the way that things broke for that weird ladder match, like, why Pac? I guess Pac couldn't be in the ladder match because it'd be too obvious that he should win. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, so so they like switched him out and did whatever. Like, you know, they're they're 
good wrestler, good wrestling freebirds, I guess. So they can do what they want, but you know, that yeah. match will be, will be a banger um, or at least it should be, but I don't think that they're wrong for this world as a team because the Lucha bros are the tag team. Oh, group, for sure. So. For sure. Yeah. But yeah, so though that match will happen sometime down the line. Don't know exactly. No yet, but um the next match up here, uh, I, you alluded to it earlier as your match of the night, and I would tend to agree. Uh, Hikaru Shida defending the AEW Women's World Championship against Ryo Mizunami uh, in a outstanding, uh, hard-hitting contest that so just just oozed so many good things from it like it was just i don't know like i i will admit mizunami is someone who you know i haven't seen a ton of even though she has a a a long career like joshi joshi is a like a bit of a blind spot for me you know like but at the same time like going back and and watching a ton of like of of like post 2000 joshi trying to like acclimate myself to a lot of these people like Mizunami is incredibly impressive um, and incredibly charismatic too. And I think that the obviously the story building up here that only really was discussed on the pre-show and in the the vignette heading into the match where you know Rio has points out that Sheeta's never beaten her. And like this is a basically Sheeta's another Sheeta proving ground in a lot of ways. Like it really built up a lot of expectation for for the match and especially when you get into like the latter third of this match with the copious amount of near falls that never felt like they got old personally yeah um i don't know what made this the match of the night for you um i mean like it was something where i feel like it was kind of a coming out party for sheeta as a champion in a lot of ways like She's had good matches, um, but like never one that felt like capital I important in the same way that like Riho's reign did. Um, and like this was like kind of like a nice change of pace from that. it wasn't something where she was accommodating somebody who wasn't as experienced as her, like in her her match against like Abaddon. Um, and like it wasn't like you know, just an endless series of squash. Uh, on dynamite while like she was doing promos about how there was no one to fight um (laughs) like it was it was a a solid like hard-hitting like here's you know essentially like what do like what two like seasoned veterans of of japanese women's wrestling can do on this stage like i think that it it is possible like if you don't know like how these matches work or what their rhythms are like to accuse it of maybe going on a little bit too long um but to me it was one of those things where it's like yeah like this is a massive hurdle for Hikaru Shida and like it doesn't matter how many times she busts out the Tamashi like this woman is larger than her uh she's she's like you know despite how fun she looks and charismatic she is she is meaner than Shida like she's more hard-hitting than Shida um, and she has a lot in the tank. Like this is the biggest opportunity for her in a long time. Um, you know, like I think I think at some point in the build, like either during the eliminator tournament or like on the pre-show or something like that, they mentioned that 
Mizunami was considering retiring until AEW brought her in for double or nothing. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like that's one of those things, like you, you said that you don't know a bunch about her. And like, frankly, I, I don't either. And like, I think that a big part of that is that like, she, the bulk of her career, particularly as like somebody who would be like a featured performer, like, you know, the first four or five years of any wrestler's career are like, you know, building up skills and relative obscurity. Um, but like, you know, the the bulk of her career happened at a time when like Joshi wrestling uh, from Japan was not deal in the United States. Like it wasn't huge among tape traders. Um, you know, it wasn't something that was getting uploaded on torrent sites. Like, so you miss the career of a lot of those people. Like that's the reason why like the biggest name in the Japanese bracket for a lot of people was Aja Kong. Like, you know, she, like, she's at the back end of her career. She's been wrestling 30 years, but like people know who she is. Um, Like, even if they're not overly familiar with Japanese women's wrestling, like that's not necessarily true of a Mizunami, Um, which is why it was important that she had a great match against, against Nyla, like on the go home show. Um, I think that this establishes her as somebody that people should be paying attention to that they should want to be again. Um, I think that it establishes Hikaru Shida as, you know, um, I don't think she's quite to the you know, was as, as champion, um, but I think it puts her within the shouting distance of it, like certainly, like she doesn't feel like, paper champion feels like a term for a fake sport, um, but, you know, she felt like a placeholder um, until now feel like and and that is a massive accomplishment like i feel like this match did a lot in that regard no it it, it definitely did and and you know i think i saw someone point out that with the victory here like sheeta became the first woman and only in like the second champion behind john moxley to retain her championship at all four AEW pay-per-views um simul- uh, concurrently so like while sheeta's reign might not be as like high profile or, or like really have a ton of like big highlights to them. Like Sheeta has become a constant yeah. in, in this division and like her matches with Nyla leading into to this match with Mizunami, like further cement that status for her. Um, one point that I saw you bring up on, on Twitter that was very interesting to me, especially looking at, you know, I, um, a, a podcast such as LGBT in the ring. Um, pointing out the fact that they put a a um a butch appearing woman in a major spot on this show like i thought that was a very interesting point that you brought up could could you like further explain like why the why that um hit you in the way that it did um yeah i mean again it's just like one of those things where if you if you look at american wrestling like american women's wrestling um for the most part um, historically speaking and currently, uh, most of the wrestlers who are at a high profile in, in women's wrestling in the United States are a fairly femme presentation. That is oversimplifying things. Um, and, you know, like the whole like butch femme, like identify, uh, identification thing, like, you know, you can't quite map that onto people who don't identify that way. And I'm fairly sure that like a majority of, like for a majority of women in, in, in wrestling, like it's just not something that's on their mind i would assume um because i don't usually hear 
straight people talk about whether they're femme or butch. <laughs> um, <laughs> that being said, though, like, you know, masculine women are a thing, uh, regardless of, of one's, you know, sexuality. Um, like, they, they exist. Uh, they have existed forever. And you don't see a lot of record for them in American wrestling because American wrestling is pitched towards 18 to 35 year old men uh, and 18 to 35 year old what do you want to say of them they tend not to be looking for that kind of woman uh, when it comes to like their entertainment I guess like that's that's what advertising tells us um, that is not show, so like when you watch Joshi um, like it just isn't like there's um, extremely charismatic women who look butch there are extremely terrifying women who look butch and like it's just a fact of life. Um, like, you know, Aja Kong, essentially, um, you know, she's a legend and she's, you know, she's not, you know, Kelly Kelly or whatever. Um, it's, it's just, it's different. And seeing that gets tra- get transplanted into the context of an, of an American wrestling show, like was a different look, you know, like here's a woman who very clearly styles herself uh, as a wrestler, like after someone like uh, Satoshi Kojima, right? Like with the chops and the lariats and stuff like that. Um, and it's very, very different from like, I, I feel like the kind of, you know, it's not quite like this term, but like sort of like the magical girl princess aesthetic of a lot of women's wrestling, like it's it's different. And when you see that on American television, like it kind of breaks a mold. Like there are large women in WWE, um, none of them look the way that Ryo Mizunami does. Um, there are hard hitting women like uh, in NXT and in AEW and in elsewhere. And none of them look like Ryu Mizunami. Like it's 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 completely different. Like I, I keep saying that, but it just is. Like I can't I can't really think of too many people who have looked like her who have been in a high profile American pay per view television match. Which isn't to say that women like you know butch women don't exist in wrestling in the United States at all. They do, but again, like this feels like you know even if it was unintentional because I I. I doubt uh very strongly that anyone was like smart enough to think about it in this term but like it's a step forward for a certain kind of representation in wrestling that you know if you aren't looking for it or if you're not conscious of it like you could completely miss um so it was nice to see uh you know at first i was i was as upset of as everyone else that maki ito lost um because i think she lost to mizunami in the first round yeah she um, did like I was as upset as everyone else, um, but you know, the more the more that I saw of Ivana Key and and what she was capable of, and like, you know, her vibe. Like she is a fun wrestler. Like you know, I don't drink, but she looks like she'd be fun to drink with. You know, <laughs> um, like and 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 meanwhile, like you know, she also looks like she could whoop your ass. Like I I loved it. Um, I like her a lot, and um, I you know, as someone who who does love. Uh, Japanese women's wrestling and who is familiar with a fair amount of you know 1990s stuff where like women like her like just exist like they're there it's not that big of a deal like you know your dump Matsumoto's and and whatnot um your combat Toyota's like 
it was nice to just have that. Like it, it felt different. Like I felt like I was watching something that was more authentic to what AEW has been trying to, to make happen on American soil uh, than like a lot of their other attempts at presenting women's wrestling, like their version of legitimate women's wrestling. No, I, I, I'm right there with you. Like, I, I think that kind of broadening the scope uh, and, and providing more, you know, if, if anything more than just visual variety in your presentation is always welcome. And honestly, like the, the AEW women's division already kind of does that a lot more than any of the men's divisions do at this point. And this just added it always to, does. to that narrative. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, and it is it's, always it's, more interesting to me. <laughs> it's at that you that the, the Kojima comparison comes up because I think that's one of the main reasons why I gravitated so much to Mizunami over the course of the tournament and this match in particular, because it, you're right. She does wrestle very a style very much like Kojima, and I am bread club all day. So <laughs> like, like that, it, it just hits different for me uh, in, in that way. So, yeah. And, and also real quick, bring up the, the whole like magical girl princess sort of thing that also kind of played out in the tournament itself, because like Mizunami beat Yuka Sakazaki, who yep. her entire gimmick is magical girl princess. Yeah. I mean, she's got the magical girl splash. Yeah, exactly. So it's just it's just interesting to see these like all these different little like things that AEW clearly could pick up on if they looked a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. The match was great. Uh, Sheeta retains um, with a, a spinning uh, Tomoshi uh, um, and just an outstanding match. I hope I'm with you. I hope we see more of Mizunami going forward outside of just the trios match that's coming up on Wednesday. Um, she could be a, a real, a real fun player in, in that division going forward. Yeah. Um, that leads us into uh, perhaps the most questionable match on this card, at least for me as to its inclusion on it. Uh, Miro and Kip Sabian against Orange Cassidy and Chuck Taylor. Yeah. So I thought you were going to say the latter match, but I I <laughs> forgot about it. I forgot about this match even though I mentioned it earlier. <laughs> and the, and like that's nothing to say about the the workers in this match or the wrestlers in this match. Like they're all they're all fine. They're all good. Um good to great, I would say. But there's just this this storyline between the best friends and Kip and Mero has felt like it's gone on almost as long as the Team Taz Darby Sting feud in a lot of and ways. It and it definitely has not. And it also has not really, it's, it felt like the ball's been dropped a little bit, depending on the week that you tune in to Dynamite on, on this. Like, I honestly didn't know if they were actually going to have a pay per view match. And then whenever I, the announcement came, I was just like, well, that, okay. I guess that's a, a thing. Um, but clearly this match is just all centered around, like, let's make Miro into a beast. And they accomplished that much, at least. But I just, this match, if you were going to switch any match, in my opinion, to the pre-show, this would have been the match you switched to the pre-show, personally. Yeah. Yep. I just, that is just the level of heat going into it. The actual, like, ex yeah, the actual execution of the match, like, 
it was effectively a, a tag team squash, really, which is sucks because Orange Cassidy is involved in this. And they spent so long building up Orange Cassidy and he's become a huge name um, post the Jericho feud. But then after that, he's very much petered off the same way that like their build of Scorpio Sky heading into his match with Jericho kind of petered off until he wins the ladder matches we'll get to later on. I think Jericho was a big part of that, though. So like... <laughs> <laughs> like Jericho, Jericho was uh, you know taking vacations to go to Sturgis during that whole Orange Cassidy feud, and you know he may have gotten COVID at some point in time that he doesn't remember. So, um, God, yeah, like the 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 here's the thing, I like Miro a great deal. I always thought that Rusev could have been a massive star in WWE. I don't think that it's the John Cena feud's fault that he essentially was killed. Like, I think that it was, you know, cause, cause you know, they, they, they wouldn't put you in a fucking tank. I'm sorry. I don't know if I'm supposed to swear. You can show. swear. You're fine. Uh, it was, okay. Fine. They wouldn't put you in a fucking tank on WrestleMania if they didn't like, you know, it's just one of those things where like, he's good. Like he's always good. Like, I don't think that the thing where, Tony Khan said they needed to be rehabilitated was true. Like, it's just like one of those things where like, oh, like wait and see, wait and see. And then when you wait and see, like here's a feud that started on the back of an actual feud that people cared about in like, you know, uh, EYFBO versus best friends uh, because they broke an arcade machine. All right, well, these dudes are rich as hell. Why do they give a shit that their arcade machine got broken? <laughs> like you know oh you're gonna do like the classic wrestling feud device where like the loser becomes the winner's manservant why didn't you film any segments where like chuck taylor had to do demeaning stuff like all of this was like built in promos where like miro was doing like these like weirdly erotically charged things where he's like charles had to polish my kettlebells and it's like that's sick why didn't i see that like instead we get like the worst wrestling wedding ever which is probably true like pretty close to true um billy and chuck don't count because that was a commitment ceremony i was about to say Uh, billy and chuck but you're right yeah it's a commitment ceremony like maybe uncle elmer and whoever uncle elmer murdered or like murdered Murdered. (laughs) 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 same thing Uh, (laughs) when you think about it but uh like it's just like it doesn't the feud never added up to anything and at the end of the day like this like sure like Miro looked like a beast in like the last three minutes of it and doesn't care about Penelope Ford and and all this other stuff but like what's the point like what's the point like he he's not a contender for a title after this like Orange Cassidy has been kind of demoted as a consequence of this like it's like it's frustrating it, it like it's it's just one of those things and like yeah this should have been the pre-match show like because that's that's how important it was like you know we went from from the highs of having like Trent's mom be super over in the van to you know <laughs> like this is what you get when you break my arcade machine <laughs> do you think this match would have been any better if say Trent wasn't injured and it was Trent and Chuck proper the no, proper best I, friends I don't because the feud sucked when Trent wasn't injured yeah (laughs) like it wasn't good it was never good um like I hope that's it like I hope that everyone moves on but I don't I don't think that's gonna be the case like I think this is gonna be another like 
FTR versus Jungle Express thing or Jurassic Express, uh, where like we're just kind of like stuck with it. <laughs> and we're told that it's a heated rivalry, even though it's not. Like it's just an occasion for people to be quiet for 10 minutes. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know necessarily where they're going to go forward with this. I mean, it, it, like once again, it looks like a tease of a breakup with Miro and Kip eventually down the line which makes sense to get Miro oh, yeah. on his I own can't again wait for that that yeah. hot Kip Sabian face turn <laughs> god <laughs> <laughs> all right yens thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the ring uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things but i do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is starting off with daniel quasar the progress pride flag designed by daniel quasar is a product of progress initiative you can find out more at quasar.digital a big thank you to sarah in the safe word for the show's theme song formula 666 off the album red hot and holy you can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, The Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash Entertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. We get. Let's get to the big money match, because that's the uh, next one up. <laughs> yeah, another candidate for the pre-show. <laughs> um, even though it wasn't, this felt like the longest match of the night. <laughs> Oh, Lord. Yeah, Hangman Page going up against Big Money Matt Hardy. God, it's just, it feels so weird to be in 2021 and mention Big Money Matt Hardy. Yeah. It's just, it, it, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a persona that didn't even really get over in impact. You know what would be great, though? I had this thought while looking at his terrible pants, is if... <laughs> Is if instead of like, oh, like, look at how much money Matt Hardy has. Like, if he were like the millionaire next door, Matt Hardy, who was like, you know, I got everything that I have by like scrimping and saving and like reusing my gear and driving terrible cars and like buying everything used. And like, <laughs> like, if it was that, like, if that were how he was big money was by being thrifty, <laughs> I could dig it. But I look at him and no part of him screams, this is a man that I want to sign my life to. God. Like it's just, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know that this was an impact gimmick. Cause I don't, I've, I've never, I think I've seen maybe 35 minutes of impact wrestling. Mm. Uh, 
in my life, which is either good or bad. I don't know. And I don't know how much of that 35 minutes is the gift of Sting hitting Rob Van Dam with a chair. <laughs> uh, or like the Scott Steiner math promo. Uh-huh. I mean, that's a pretty solid minute and a half of impact footage, I would say. <laughs> yeah, this is true uh, at its best. But um, yeah, like it's just the the gimmick isn't good like i feel like turning private party heel was a good idea because like i feel like they're kind of finding themselves in that direction but like matt hardy doesn't have a lot to do with it like you know it's just like whatever the the thing like we've seen people try to play hangman page while he's drunk like 40 times uh and at least now it's not working um but also like everyone just wants to see adam page with dark order and start dressing like orville peck and like you know being like goth cowboy man and the longer they wait on that like it's like why (laughs) why why are you waiting this is like clearly the thing like let's let's do this like every good thing about that match was like the dark order coming out in the last minute of it crowd surfing page into a buckshot lariat and then hugging him like that's it that's all you need to see um because like i haven't been excited about a matt hardy match since 2001 uh and this was not a cure for that so um yeah i don't know there's yeah this was this was a waste of time like it should have been eight minutes and it felt like it was like 30 so um (laughs) do you know how long it was how long was this match uh 1440 oh that's so long yeah like that's at like the extreme end of what an ideal wrestling match should be and like matt hardy is not an ideal wrestler anymore he's old he's old he has a punch like his twist of fate doesn't even look that good anymore like this should have been a at best like you know (laughs) uh but but yeah 14 minutes that's yeah that's that's the time that's a, that's a distance right there yeah. i i will come i will commend matt hardy on at least like working differently based on the persona that he is embodying at the time because like in this match he definitely was more heelish he worked the he like working the fingers and working the hand as much as he did was i, I don't know that at least like was a good way to spin like the first five minutes of the match but at the same time, like as as private party got involved and then like I really I, I wasn't necessarily like down on the match, but I was just kind of like, OK, that it's there. And then yeah. whenever Dark Order came out, like, yeah, OK, this is yeah, this is exactly what we want to see. And then seeing like BTE afterwards where Hangman shows up in the purple cowboy shirt, it's like you just keep teasing this out. You don't need to tease it out anymore. No, just do it. Yeah um yeah i don't know like it's like i like i would say is like all right the first you you like the first five minutes they could have made that the first two minutes and then had a a solid go home with like the last like seven you know it's it's just one of those things i feel i feel like a lot of this is aew feeling a need to protect everyone like there are relatively few like dominant victories established talent um with the exception of like Brody lee destroying cody Rhodes, where like a dominant win like it doesn't even have to be that dominant like eight minutes is a lot of time 
fake when you think about it but like shortening the match and making it less of like look this like 40 something year old wrestler is really hanging in there with this guy who's like 20 years younger than him it doesn't it doesn't sit right like you're 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 using this man as a as a player coach like he's a manager who wrestles he should not stand a chance against someone as talented as Paige. like at this point like it just it shouldn't be that um so yeah i don't know like i if the match were shorter i probably would have liked it more but that's it was just a lot it was a lot the the show was really dragging for me at this point and it did not stop dragging yeah i mean the middle of the show very much just you felt the bloat in a lot of ways i'm with you like the match could have been half as long as it was and it still would have had the same effect um with the ending that it had but i don't maybe maybe i don't know we keep it it's a trend that that we keep talking about every time we come together to talk about one of these pay-per-views. There's always one or two matches that are just so much more longer than they should be. Yeah. Um, speaking of that, though, face the face of the revolution ladder match, mm-hmm. the ladder match that would not end, <laughs> in, in my opinion. My God. Yeah. Um, we had Scorpio Sky winning uh, over Cody Rhodes, Penta El Zero Miedo, Lance Archer, Max Caster, who delivered the burn of the night, in my yeah. opinion, with that Cuomo line. Um, and then the debuting Ethan Page. Yeah. Who I honestly like, I, I like the signing, I will say. I, I don't know if AEW needs to continue signing a whole bunch of new people whenever they have so many people that work right well, they have a new youtube show yeah exactly well they do have the new youtube show but like yeah you know what if ethan page ethan page is going to be the main eventer on the aw dark, Ele- dark elevation <laughs> <laughs> now nah, i like i like ethan a lot um yeah i i worked with him uh in aew and he he was he was really great then and like you could always tell that like he was one of those dudes who was going to be like mark for stardom i will say like you know a a scramble ladder match is not the most amazing spot to debut someone in like it's not great and like this match was not full of ladder match guys um i think the into a ladder match guy in this match was scorpio sky <laughs> um so the highlight of the match for me wasn't really Ethan's debut. It was the fact that the brass ring looked like the ring from Sonic the Hedgehog. God, yes. Uh, that was the best part of the match. Uh, like, a percent. Uh, like, there weren't like very many crazy spots. Like, the finish certainly wasn't that crazy. Like, the Cody Rhodes injury angle was massively unnecessary. There were far too many spots where you could see people adjusting themselves in order to take offense. Like uh, it was rough. It was a really rough watch. Like it shouldn't have happened. I hate ladder matches. Like, I think that this isn't like (laughs) funny. We were talking about the word industry (laughs) (laughs) earlier. uh, And I, I was just about to say, I think this industry, but I do, I think that this industry has made ladder matches like utterly pointless. Like I'm watching six people in a legitimately like, you know, dangerous situation, like more dangerous than like your typical wrestling match at the very least 
like vie for a Sonic the Hedgehog ring for a shot at a title in a future date. Like why? Like why not just have a match that like determines the number one contender? Why not just use your ranking system that exists <laughs> um, <laughs> to determine who should face Darby Allen? Like you know, it's it's lazy booking. It's lazy booking. It always has been. Like you know. It only got worse when WWE introduced the Money in the Bank ladder match. And I guess I understand to some extent the reason why this would be like something that AEW tends towards because a lot of people who make decisions there were in the Money in the Bank ladder match division in WWE. Like Cody was in a lot of them. Um, but they are not good. Like they're not good. Like you have to kill yourself to make these like memorable and i i don't remember like i don't there was one spot there were two spots that i think were memorable and like one was penta doing the destroyer on the ladder that was draped between the ring and the guardrail uh that took cody out even for the most part penta's hips took the ladder and then someone went through a wooden ladder on the outside but i don't remember who so Scorpio. Uh, Scorpio. Okay, Scorpio did that, which which took Scorpio out until like nearly end of, end of, end of the match. Like, but I'm not going to remember any of this a week from now. Any yeah, like, I promise you that. Like, I I just won't. Like, there's no way. Like, it just it's a mush. It's mush. Uh, and if I never saw another ladder match again, I I would be the happiest wrestling critic in the world. <laughs> I'm with you with the with the the ladder match uh, critique up to the point that like <laughs> like any gimmick match ha- has a place in time where it will work effectively for what it is. These sort of like scramble matches like this, like it's not it doesn't like aid to the effect of having a ladder match be involved in it. You know, like if you have an issue that leads to something where a ladder match works for it. Right. I think that that works really, really well. But the fact that you're just building up this 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 match from scratch with people who really don't have any issues amongst them, just for a shot at the TNT Championship on the next Dynamite, and the the literal item they're grabbing is is a literal brass ring. Yeah, I I'm not. Uh, I need to talk about the brass ring for a second uh, because like the. I am okay. I, I like a good in joke. I I love a good in joke from time to time. <laughs> Pro wrestling in jokes are done. Yeah, I am bad. over this. I am over the Vince McMahon broken skull podcast bullshit. Grab the brass ring thing from seven years ago. I'm done with it. I don't need to see this anymore. I don't need to see it referenced anymore. I don't need to see it referenced on your the opposition to WWE's pay-per-view like it's just it it felt completely out of place it felt uh, contrived in, in a way that made me completely disinterested in the match and and outside of the like the wrestlers that were actually like putting their careers on the line in it you yeah. know and and like you said there were only a few spots that are going to stick in people's brains like the only one i'll add to that is ethan page taking the blackout onto a ladder because that looked like it fucking sucked <laughs> like i think i think ethan page like posted a, a photo the next day talking about like my first night in AEW. i got this tattoo and it's just the bruise of the imprint oh that was from cody's belt oh oh that's from the belt okay i thought that was from the ladder spot oh either way like what oh god it's just 
no, I don't know. It's yeah. Uh, I, I I think that you're right that like ladder matches, if they have like a build and a purpose, can be good. But like for the most part, they don't anymore. Like they're just the thing. Like in WWE, there's just a there's a show tables, ladders, and chairs. So we have to have a ladder match and a TLC match, and it's yeah. like the the thing like you know i i i feel like i want to blame like the the tlc match from from wrestlemania x7 for this but like that match ruled because it was three teams that were supposed to be in a match together like trying to kill each other for a title that they elevated and like this wasn't that like it just wasn't and like you know again like who who determines like who got chosen to be in the match and who had to wrestle for a spot in it like it, it just none of it made a ton of sense and like you know this is the third time that they tried to make scorpio sky like a a real like ongoing concern and it's like when are you going to get tired of that again uh you know dot 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 like so so far as like determining a match like that's going to happen on dynamite with no build between the two wrestlers like they have no reason to be fighting outside of the fact that one won a ladder match and the other one owns a championship like which i don't know maybe that's enough for some people but it's it's lazy booking like we've had darby tied up in this feud for so long that there's no like means of getting him a natural championship contender but it's also been a while since he's defended it so all right we have a ladder match and here's all these dudes killing themselves for it and that's it please enjoy the next 20 minutes and i didn't um i just didn't unfortunately yeah, and like the people in the match, like definitely tr- like did the best that they they could with this whole situation, and and there were some like legit like fun spots and some brutal spots that we talked about, but o- overall, just like I I might be even like the money in the bank, I might be like just done with. I never want to see it excited. again. Yeah. What do you mean even? Like that's the worst one. Yeah. <laughs> then you gotta then you gotta deal with some dude toting around a briefcase like a douchebag for a year. Like, no thanks. <laughs> like <laughs> oh, time to cash this in. Like everyone knows how that match works and what the like it's it's been explored. It's done. Like yeah. it just doesn't it doesn't matter. Yeah. I will say though, there was like one shining moment in, in this match at the very end, whenever Scorpio did grab the the sonic ring. And was like clutching it to his chest, and even though it was a Sonic ring, just just the music from Sonic should have played, bro. <laughs> just fucking Green Hill Zone. Yeah, yeah, like or like the end of level. <laughs> god, yes! Oh my god, you mi- they missed the perfect cash in Bots on that. Won't. <laughs> oh, oh, I know. Oh, Matthew, Matthew's on point. I'm. I can't wait for the next. <laughs> no, but like, um. The, the genuine emotion on Scorpio's face whenever he did like win the match was uh, something that like did touch me personally. Like, cause I know it's like Scorpio, you know, he's, he's a uh, like decades in the business. He's been so start and stop with a W, you know, as, and as it comes to a singles push with that, with him. And, you know, like you said, like, I don't know exactly how long they're going to be interested in, in pushing Scorpio this time around, but, there was like that that did create a moment for me like seeing him like almost like tear up even though he was clutching a sonic ring but tearing up while clutching that sonic ring like it it hit me a little bit yeah yeah 
Um, but that will lead us into our cinematic match for the evening. Was this advertised as a cinematic match? I don't believe so. I think that there have been like some like sort of understanding amongst people that it would be, but there was, I don't think people. it was ever clearly defined. Because it wasn't me. <laughs> I, I, I didn't really either. I honestly. showed up for Sting. I didn't show up for Sting's body double. <laughs> you mean Sting didn't hit that Yoshi tonic? <laughs> but yes. I just wanted to see my man Sting do some stuff. From an undisclosed location, abandoned house with a giant crash pad set up in the middle. Yeah, Sting yeah. and Darby <laughs> Allen taking on Team Taz, Brian Cage, and Ricky Starks in yeah. a street fight. For a street fight, there was a lot of ceiling. No. One. Much less street. <laughs> like, they, they took streets to warehouse, um, where there were a lot of doors marked not an exit. <laughs> Not a lot of street fighting. God, oh. no, no, there, there wasn't. And and just before we get into the match, I always preface this um, since since speaking out, uh, there are credible allegations of abuse against Darby Allen, and we just want to make sure that that is pointed out before we discuss any match involving Darby Allen. Um, so yeah, um, like like we said before, uh, the streets basically only got a taste whenever we wanted to show off Tony Khan's Lamborghini. <laughs> taste. And... <laughs> gotta get some. Gotta get some Tony Hawk Pro Skater three level sketching in. Hell yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ! Why why did they give Sting a pickup truck? They're like those TVs that were on the ground, like the beginning of WCW NWO Revenge. God, yeah. like that I mean, part was fine. Like the TVs yeah. on the ground, that's cool. But like, all right, for a cinematic match, it's fine. The form is over, though. I know, like, no one wants to see it. Like, it's it it peaked at the Bone Zone at WrestleMania, uh, <laughs> I, and uh, and it's been all downhill since then. So, doing, I'm sorry that I call it the bone zone. That's no, yeah, I am cause. all I'm all in on that. Like I, uh, I love it. Like, so just like continuing to do it. Like the stadium stampede was fine. All this other stuff, but like the fact that they scored it and had live commentary over it, like is it doesn't it doesn't work. Like the form doesn't work. Like I am strongly on team wrestling has always been cinematic uh for the first part like you know it's been a filmed medium for over 100 years like you know it's fine it doesn't need improving by like fancy cuts and edits and swooping cameras from the ring to the other side of the warehouse like and uninspired brawling and all this other stuff like there was cool stuff that happened in this match like you know uh brian cage doing a delayed vertical suplex up a flight of stairs oh god yes obviously very impressive um a bunch of like weird goofball stuff where like people like follow sting and darby into the ring and like sting face paint and like you know hit the ring like it's a chikara main event a little less enthused like i wanted a you know the i feel like it's unfair to complain about expectation versus delivery like just because i wanted an actual wrestling street fight doesn't mean that i should complain that i didn't get one but also like i i did not get 
anything particularly inspired. Like, I understand that Sting is a broken down piece of meat. Um, and I am willing to accept that that means that he cannot do, you know, the things that he used to do, uh, regardless of how well he used to do them. Um, but like all of the build that took place in this, like none of it suggested that this was the kind of match that we were going to get. Like, you know, Darby was dragged to a parking lot and like in a body bag and that was filmed regular style. Um, everything that Sting did in the wrestling ring leading up to this, like Stinger splashes and Scorpion death drops and, and you know, the death lock and all that other stuff. He did it in an actual wrestling ring, like in front of a crowd, like you like to bring someone like Sting in and deny the live audience that already should not be there the pleasure of you know i i don't know how pleasurable it would have been had they done it like an actual wrestling match but to deny them an actual wrestling match when ostensibly like this is the the one of the biggest names in aew kind of sucks like it kind of sucks um because again it wasn't for covid undertaker versus aj styles would have been in front of an audience and it would have sucked but it would have been an undertaker match in front of an audience you know like I, I guess I guess my thing with this match and and most like it at this point is that like I don't want to hide wrestlers inadequacies by breaking the fourth wall between what is and isn't wrestling. Like if a wrestler has inadequacies, I think that that's part of portraying something as a as a form of competition. Like, I think that Sting is much more interesting as a, a flawed wrestler due to his age than he is as a, you know, mythical Avenger figure who can come in and, like, do cool stuff whenever he needs to. Like, I, I want to see Maul Dad Sting defend his, you know, Maul Goth son Darby Allen against, like, the Mean Jocks. But, like, this wasn't that. Um, I wanted a real match. And I always want a real match, um, you know, except for the two good ones at WrestleMania last year. Like, I, I really don't want to see this sort of thing again. And if this is what Sting is going to be doing, then I guess I got to back every nice thing that I've said about Sting over the last year, <laughs> which sucks. I mean, you're not wrong. Like, I, I, I think I'm a bit more warm on, on the cinematic presentation. I, was like I don't necessarily like calling it that per se, but like these style of matches, they haven't they haven't all been good. Obviously, I don't think there has been a, a a good one since the Stadium Stampede personally. But like this match, like it it worked for that presentation for the most part. It it did it got goofy in in a lot of ways. It got a little bit it dragged a little bit in places. But like some of the more like spectacular spots that you had, like you talked about cage carrying darby up in a delayed suplex up yeah. the flight of stairs um hobbs and cage like hurling darby allen through a, a plate glass window yeah um, no i mean like there's good stuff in it i loved hook like you know yeah. i i like that hook wasn't wearing a, a hoodie like now we know that taz's kid is like shredded like that's wild <laughs> yeah <laughs> no no like I, and like outside of those spectacular moments though um the most interesting part of the match for me was seeing sting in the ring one-on-one with ricky starks at the end yeah because like that's really what people want to see they want to see what sting can still do in that 
context and granted outside of the 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 body double the, for the one like blatantly obviously obvious cut there sting looked okay yeah he, no he did he looked he looked okay he looked good i did like cringe a little bit whenever he missed the stinger splash into the corner just because like knowing the next stuff that he's been that he that kept him out for as long as it did um yeah the neck and spine issues like that just uh but for the but yeah the sting looked fine you know ended the match with the we got the scorpion death drop and uh i think that gave a nice little happy period on the end of it but i really think that putting commentary over this match hurt it i do too yeah except it, taz was really good yes taz <laughs> like, taz, I mean, taz is always good <laughs> like you could you could pretty much like hear taz like rubbing his hands when he was going like <laughs> like whenever something <laughs> bad happened to stinger darby he's such a cartoon villain and i love it so much but like if you're gonna score this thing in the way that you did like it felt like the commentary had a completely different tone than what they were trying to present with the match itself and you can't have those two um differing tones like clashing in the same way and and get the desired effect i think that Uh, that's where a lot of my disconnect with it came from too because like that's where it felt like false advertising like mm -hmm. you can say what you want about the stadium stampede as a cinematic match but like they put it in a stadium because it was four people like, or eight people like fighting each other in something that was too large to contain in Daly's place. Never at any point in this build did they say that this would be taking place in an undisclosed location. It felt like false advertising. Um, and the score like coupled with like the live commentary, like just made it feel like a lie. Like, like it really, I felt cheated by it. Like, honestly, mm. Um, if they would have said, Hey, this isn't happening at Daly's place. That's one thing like, fine. Okay. I get it. Like I'm not at Daly's place. So I guess I don't care that much, but like, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like the sting and Ricky Stark stuff was great. And even more than like watching it for sting, like in that instance, like you're looking at like, Oh, if Ricky Starks within like less than a year of signing to AEW, is being trusted to carry like an ancient man to his first match since like 2015, where like, you know, his body turned to dust (laughs) after a turnbuckle power bomb, like, and he can do it to that level. Like, you know, even though everyone says that Ricky Starks is going to be a massive star, like, I feel like he's really one of the people in the company who is not talked about that often in terms of like their major star potential for AEW um and like this match was like proof of it um like team taz is is extremely compelling to me like i i didn't really like cage uh when he i and you know like i said i don't really follow impact um and you know i i saw lucha underground but like that was also kind of like heavily edited and it's hard to get a sense of like who's good uh in that format um but like this framing of him has like made me really appreciate him like i think that hobbs like once they kind of give him more time to shine is going to be big um and i i I can't wait to see taz's 14 year old son wrestle like it's gonna be amazing (laughs) the hook has a bright future he does everybody in this stable has a bright future ahead of themselves like Like, it's amazing to see he's the best like taz is the best manager in wrestling like it's him and bivens like you know top tier and everyone else is like 
way down the list compared to the two of them. Like I, I want to see more of all of them and like to think that in a losing effort in a match that I was disappointed in for the way in which it existed um, says a lot about like the dynamism of all those dudes. Um, I love that they drove a fast and furious car, (laughs) Um, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like it, it was, it was goofy. Like, you know, if, if I knew to expect that going into it, I think I would have liked it more, but, um, yeah. And like, cool. He did a, a coffin drop from like, you know, uh, of upper deck sort of thing like a second floor window or whatever but like like you said that was a giant crash pad <laughs> yeah it's a massive crash pad uh I, I looking like if you if you discount like the credible accus- accusations and all that stuff like you know which are obviously more important than everything like the darby allen that i actually like is the darby allen that is as far away from his art school impulses as possible and this was pure art school impulse um i liked it a lot for sting uh and i liked it a lot for for team taz but like i think darby was the one who was like lagging behind a great deal in this match um because he was indulging in all of his like worst impulses essentially so it was fine um but yeah like again women's match was the best on the card (laughs) Uh, because i think we're we're about we're about to discuss (laughs) We're we well, yep. <laughs> we're get, we're there almost. We do have to hit one more thing though, because speaking of expectations. Oh, yeah. oh I forgot about that one too. Yeah, I, right. <laughs> and it's a shame because he's actually he's really good. But yeah, we had uh the of course the promise of a future Hall of Famer signing with the company, and that turned out to be Christian Cage. Um came out, didn't say a word, uh, as only Captain Charisma can. And uh, did his uh, did his little glare, signed his contract, and left it in the middle of the ring. And I guess we're going to be seeing more Christian Cage uh, coming up here. Yeah, I like Christian. I hope that they don't call him Captain Charisma. Um, <laughs> I, I hope that he leaves that really terrible hoodie uh, in his deep distant past. Uh, and I think it's hilarious that WWE brought him back for the Royal Rumble and then was just like, meh, whatever. <laughs> like so funny i i think that they should start calling big show big scoop uh oh um, god yes please <laughs> it's way better than g g no i love g i love it <laughs> i love g so much i just imagine like because like for one like tony shivani uh, who i love like i love that like you know oh he freaked out about sting on nitro like so so he's gonna freak out about sting on like like he is pure nostalgia for my favorite period of american wrestling and the fact that he calls paul white who has not been professionally known as as giant since 1999 g is hysterical to me (laughs) i love it i hope that he never refers to him as paul white on elevation i hope that he just calls him g the whole time (laughs) like the whole time uh or big like (laughs) one of the two as i'm fine one of those two i'm i'm good i i would prefer big scoop but g yes i love g i will i will defend g (laughs) (laughs) he's like what does wwe own the trademark on the word giant (laughs) (laughs) come on (laughs) 
G. It's so good. Oh, pro wrestling is so good. Just imagine Tony Schiavone walking up to Big Show in the back and being like, yo, what's up, G? But it being totally distant, like not not like a white dude imitating like African-American. Yes. Regular. Just, just that's what he calls him. And he's asking what's up. <laughs> completely sincere. <laughs> How's it going, G? God damn it. Like, I love it. Oh, it's it. Yeah, I'm OK. You might have sold me on it a bit more now just to me it was just like every time i hear it, i just think back to like whenever i would listen to his podcast with conrad and they would like do the thing where tony read rap lyrics over beats and stuff and i'm just like all right oh. what whatever okay like, see your first mistake is listening to podcasts i know i i, I host one so i, mean, no, that's, I don't mean that's I, you, you by podcasts <laughs> i yeah i know exactly what you mean <laughs> Oh, Lord. Well, yes, Christian Cage is in the family now, and uh, we got a taste of uh, what he might be walking into, maybe somewhere down the line. I hope not for him. Exploding barbed wire deathmatch. Yeah. Kenny Omega defending the title against John Moxley, defeating John Moxley in a match that honestly, I think, was the, the one match that sold this show. Oh, yeah. Um, and Honestly, it perked up a lot of wrestling nerds' minds and eyes because of the stipulation attached to it. Um, obviously, ECW had tried a couple of, explo- of of bomb matches in their past. Uh, I want to say that I want to say that CZW might have tried it at some point, but no major company in America had had run one of these matches before. Right. And- ECW testing it with balls Mahoney is so funny to me. <laughs> Like, oh. nothing against balls mahoney but uh but but like it was like a main event thing like exploding ring matches are a main event thing in in japanese independent wrestling um they're a big deal um like i obviously i'm one of the nerds who was like into this but like from the moment they announced it i was worried like i think that my like i tweeted like 30 seconds after like the dynamite that kenny was like this is a thing i was like i am looking forward to this i am so worried about it because the horror stories of these matches being bad as a consequence of technical error uh are legion like it is so hard to get right like you know i there's um bahu like his name is brett but like on the internet he goes by bahu like he's like a kind of like chief chronicler of of frontier martial arts wrestling history Mm. um and in his podcast about the history of fmw like he talks a lot about how like atsushi onita had a specific like pyrotechnic team that was like hired and like what's what's interesting is that like the footage that they used to promote this match of onita's like from from the first match uh that he did like this against tarzan goto like the bombs in that match weren't particularly well received um (laughs) like they weren't and like you can see why like it's like yeah in in the haze of like grainy vhs and whatnot like it looks impressive for its time but like even then it was like this was promised as a spectacle and it looks like you know bottle rockets um i i feel like i've jumped all over like the summary that you're that you're starting with but like not to not even to go into the final explosion but like I, I feel like what this match kind of exposed so far as AEW is, con- is like 
they they can see the notes but don't understand the music on a lot of the stuff that they're doing mm-hmm. um because like when when you look at it like the first time that moxley hit the barbed wire it looked like trash like it looked bad the when omega did it looked good like on the shotgun dropkick but like if you look at the still photos that were taken by AEW's photographer, whose name I believe is like Lee South, those made the explosions, not the final one, because they did not include any of those in their post-show photo package <laughs> for reasons I, I can't begin to imagine. Yeah. Uh, but like the, the picture of Kenny Omega getting drop kicked into the barbed wire looks as good as any explosion in a barbed wire explosion match as i have ever seen but when you look at that same spot on camera it doesn't look as good because they did not do what onita did which was film the match in a way that made it a widescreen experience like it felt closed off you never saw the floor until moxley ddt'd omega onto the exploding barbed wire board which at that point when you saw that thing blow up you had to know like that (laughs) that things were not going to end particularly well (laughs) Um, (laughs) like that at that point i was like oh no like i hope that they finish before 30 minutes are up because this is this is going to be rough there's only two more of those left and like whatever's left on the rings and it like it it's just one of those things like how many how many of these have you seen in your experience as a wrestling fan so I think I've seen like I've seen a number of them, mostly obviously most mostly Onita ones. Um yeah. I, I I've seen like bits and pieces of, of the footage from I think the ninety-nine ECW one. But really like I whenever they announced that this match was happening, I went back and watched like the 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 three I think the three uh Onita matches that are best remembered from the stipulation. Yeah, I went back and watched Sasuke, I went back and watched Hayabusa, and I went back and watched Funk again. Just to kind of one, build yeah. up. The Hayabusa one's different because that's a cage. Um, yeah. But I would say that you should go and watch uh, Megumi Kodo versus um, Combat Toyota, which I think is from 1995, like the 95 FMW anniversary show, okay. which might be the same one as Onita versus Hayabusa. Um, that one is amazing. It has one of the most ludicrous looking spots I've ever seen, which is uh, Toyota, like, german suplexing uh kudo like into the wire and the both of them go into it it's it's awesome it's so good it looks great as like a regular thing but like it wasn't an exploding ring match because that was the main event i think it was kudo's retirement match though if i'm remembering correctly but if you look at the setup for like a regular exploding ring match which is a ridiculous forward phrase like you can you can see like the bombs on the outside are like these gigantic oil drums that are like set up and like all of this like and there's four on each corner then there's like the bombs that are on the ropes and you know the landmines were like a thing that was added later um but even then like if you look at that kind of stuff like those blow up like there's like fire and stuff like that they're they're made in a way that like no one's getting mangled but like the spectacle of all of these things is very very real um and like it's mostly smoke like it's smoke bombs um like hollywood level smoke bombs if they couldn't commit to that then they shouldn't have done it um because they're like you cannot say for three weeks like 
there will be bombs and we will be blowing each other up and then and then you know the most impressive looking one being like a mid-match spot um like i it just it really felt like you know i know that moxley gets it and i know to a certain extent that like omega gets it but they they should have changed the way that like their cameras were working so that you could get a sense of the thing like they should have been playing with like the idea of like the wire as a threat like there was there was no spot where like the two of them outside of like the initial like two minutes where both of them were doing like a headlock into the wire where like the two of them were like actively trying to avoid it it felt like a normal match between the two of them but with like interjections of like this kind of like extremely pg version of a match that like you know frankly never really goes above pg-13 in the first place mm-hmm. um and because one of the four sides of the ring didn't have barbed wire on it you know that the good brothers were going to mess with it and they did and it sucked and i hate them and i hate kenny omega and i hate don Callis, and i don't hate them in a good way like it's just like this isn't in in good matches or high drama and it's just disappointing and like i i was down on the match like with the exception of like a couple of spots like before uh the the roller coaster that was the final uh countdown which i was way into because like things were there like i i love that like spaceman bryce bryce remsberg was there i love that and then like you know i you should you should talk about your feelings about the match proper before we talk about how it ended um but yeah like it just it didn't it didn't feel right and then it just progressively felt less right to me uh, <laughs> as a fan um yeah i mean going back to to the build for this like i i'm with you in that like you use so many images from the the classic onita matches um and and you you got Atsushi Onita himself talking about this match and yeah. hyping oh, up. Was... <laughs> can I can I say this real quick? Yes, go for it. So before the show, Onita tweets, "This is happening in four hours. I can't wait to see it." And then after the show, he was like, "I'm happy for Moxley and Omega, but I wish that I could bring my version of this match to America." Yes. <laughs> like, oh no! My God, <laughs> I I love it so much. I saw that tweet too, and I'm just like, "Yeah, give me." Onita keeps subtweeting people about them butchering yeah. your, your fucking match. Yeah. I mean, they uh, got the blast bat right. They got the blast bat right. Yes, but and and I will some of the I do like some of the inventiveness with with a couple of the spots in there Moxley too. Moxley getting a rope break on a bomb was good. Yes, I that really like that. Um, yeah. I I I I liked the match for the most part. Um, I I I was into it up until Good Brothers came in. Um, I felt that ending was very, very flat. Um, you that know, hasn't worked at all. Like, no, I feel like you have to be like the deepest level of like, I don't, I don't even like who. You have to be like the biggest Bullet Club Weabu to care about like the version of the Bullet Club that existed for one night when like Kenny Omega became the leader of it before the like everyone else like bounced like it's just like i don't i don't care like i don't care i like you know anderson and gallows are a fine tag team they're okay like gallows is 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 an all right dude like in my experiences with him but like they have done nothing but kill 
the vibe of like what it what is ostensibly one of the three most important championships in American wrestling. Um, I can't watch a Kenny Omega match without assuming that they're gonna fuck it up, like, and it's not gonna go anywhere. So, like, what's the point? Like, why watch this if I know that they're gonna they're gonna interfere? Like, and it's just gonna be a clusterfuck. Um, it's not a good thing to have as a regular feature on your show. I feel like, yeah, no, and I, I'm with you on that in, in a lot of ways. It's just like, it's, it's just, it's not working. It's not getting the desired effect. And especially for a match like this, like you, you don't need to have that kind of finish for something like this. You like it, it, it hurts it um, immensely. And, I think all the air got got sucked out of the amphitheater, whatever that happened for a lot of people. Um, just because, like, you know, I think for the most part, people that hadn't seen an exploding barbed wire match before, like, I could see them being into this. Oh, same here. Yeah. Like, I think I said that, like, you know, midway through the match, I was like, I have to keep reminding myself that, like, not everyone is a ghoul who watches like '90s death matches, <laughs> like. You know, for a lot of people, that's their first exposure to it. And if that's your first exposure to it, then like, you know, it it probably is like a, a big deal. Like it looks cool, like there's there's stuff going on. But like here's here's the thing. Like the Good Brothers came out and they couldn't even throw Moxley into the barbed wire. Like, what the fuck are you here for? Like <laughs> <laughs> they had to save the bombs. <laughs> <laughs> that's true, they did. Uh, they just did not save enough of them, I suppose. Maybe I, I God. Well, let, let's get let's get to the ending. Let's get. To, I think we've we've talked about the build up enough. We talked about the match enough. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say one more thing about the match. I do. Kenny Omega taking a Death Rider straight on the dome onto barbed wire off the apron. Like I, that just that made me cringe more than some of the bar most of the barbed wire spots. I wish that bomb were bigger. Yeah. The bombs, yeah, the bomb was underwhelming, but That's, like just like uh, that spot was dope. But I just I wish that that everything else about it was like I obviously I don't want Kenny Omega to 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 get blown up and like have his hair catch on fire no, or whatever. No. But like it was it was at that point I knew that the ring explosion was gonna suck, and it's too bad that that was in my mind because that spot was very impressive and very stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh and and like you said it was it was good foreshadowing for the end because you know at the match ends at 25 minutes um but first but we the bombs can't be diffused the bombs are still going to go off at 30 minutes and yeah. we get more of a beat down and then it really made me look like a fool for for being like oh man a match that has to go 30 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> hey i was right there with you i was like yeah this thing's going at least 30 yeah. but they 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 turned it on its head a little bit, I guess, um, in, in that way. But, um, yeah, we had the beat down. And then as the, the that air raid siren goes off, the minute timer, the last minute timer comes up. And then Eddie Kingston comes running out to save his friend, uh, John Moxley. Effectively, like, this is Eddie's big face turn. Yeah. Um, like, you know, Butcher and Blade are out there trying to keep him from going in the ring, but Eddie's not having it, runs in, can't get the handcuffs off of Moxley, 
can't get him out of the ring. And as time is winding down, five seconds left, he covers him up the Onita spot, the Onita save spot. Um, and the clock hit zero. And we got some sparklers and uh, some smoke plumes. And uh, I think everyone was just left wondering, is that it? Uh-huh. Um, obviously, there, there have been reports that, you know, that the explosion was supposed to be bigger. I don't, I mean, they've been very, AEW has been very coy about exactly what happened, what was planned, what, what, if something went wrong with the final explosion. But we can talk about that in just a second. Just looking at the actual lasting image of, of the match, like with Eddie Kingston and John Moxley selling, like they have effectively died because of what's supposed to be a massive explosion. Yep. And the announcer is going nuts like they just witnessed the legitimate murder. <laughs> yes. And just like the last like few minutes of this pay-per-view, just them just laying there like, oh my God, I just I felt so bad. I felt so bad for them. That's how I felt too. I was told that I shouldn't because no one was gonna blame them, but it's still like, y'all, this is like a major storytelling moment for both of these wrestlers. And like, you know, you could tell, like, you know, I don't want to speak for any and like I could be wrong, but like there was a moment. Okay, so in 1995, the infamous match where where Cactus Jack became the actual king of the death match was supposed to be an exploding ring barbed wire affair, like whatever. It's a big point in in Mick Foley's first autobiography. But like when you watch the match, like the um goes off and it looks about as good as AEW's did. Um, and like Terry Funk looks this scene and throws his hands up as if to ask why am i here (laughs) um and there's a point like shortly after i think the actual like the boom happened uh and like the smoke plumes go up that like eddie kingston is like covering his own head while he's covering mocks and his hand drops to the canvas and i was like oh no like this is such an important moment to a lot of wrestling fans like the onita spot is is huge for me i wrote a whole essay about it um and it's huge to big wrestling dorks who exist in wrestling of which eddie kingston is one and this went from something that could have and should have been a a a huge moment in company history to being a joke i think AEW is being coy about it uh, and saying, like, of course, like Kenny Omega, he wouldn't know how to make one of these uh, in order to like play off as much embarrassment as possible. But it doesn't work because that clearly was not the intent in the moment. Um, I think there's a reason why they've issued millions of, of copyright violation notices on Twitter. <laughs> uh i think there's a reason like you know it was a mistake they screwed up they didn't screw up because they're not pyrotechnic people but whoever they hired screwed up and it sucks like i don't think that it's something that's gonna hurt moxley and kingston and omega as like featured acts on television and i'm sure they're furiously writing to figure out how to like you know dance their way out of this but it's bad. Like you do not like 
if if that was intentional, then that is the worst thing that they period. Like, oh, we're going to have an intentionally bad explosion to highlight the pay-per-view that we sold on the basis of there being an explosion. Yeah. Tune in next week. You know what that sounds like? That sounds like Goldberg versus Nash at Starcade. Like, it does. Like, it, it does. does. And it's not because, like, you know, I think the AEW is a lot smarter than Eric Bischoff. Um, or, like, 1998, 99 WCW in general. Um, but, you know, that's the kind of thing that gets made fun of forever like forever it's hogan versus warrior level bad um also a 1998 wcw match <laughs> um <laughs> like you know the word like the work the actual work that went into it is much better than either of those two matches the execution of it totally killed it like you know if the explosion had been better, would I have liked the match more? Yeah, sure. But I like, it's still one of those things where like, I've talked to friends of mine who were like, yeah, I liked what was going on, but the way that it ended makes that one of the worst matches I've ever seen. And it's like, that's a, that's a valid response. Like it's, it's bad. Like it is bad. And like, I, I was, I was sad for the people who were in the ring uh i was mad uh at the fact that i had spent money to to watch this (laughs) um because like again like they sold this on an exploding ring and i i bought the show like because it's my favorite kind of match like i love that match i love like you know the symbolism of it they went for it and that's what we got and i like honestly i can't respect the effort because this is a company that's owned by a, a billionaire who owns like a football team in two different kinds of football uh, and like is like proud of like making things different. And it's like, y'all should have tried this beforehand or like done something like if, if you couldn't pull it off, you shouldn't have done it. Mm-hmm. And they didn't pull it off. And now like I have a bad taste in my and it sucks. Cause like usually my disappointment with AEW is like, Eh, they might fix this later but now they're never gonna do this again like they're never gonna do it again and they shouldn't (laughs) um but this is it like this is the one time that my favorite match like happened in a context that i could actually see it and it 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 made me sad (laughs) you know yeah that's not that's not where i want to be with this company like i i want them to be the company that i'm frustrated with but enjoy not the company that i'm frustrated with and i'm like oh (laughs) (laughs) no i i completely understand and i you know i was in a, a similar spot i think at the end i was just like if if it was intentional then that is one of the the worst promotional tactics that I have experienced personally. Yeah, just give it a give it a Meltzer would right now. Yeah. God. <laughs> <laughs> but if if it wasn't intentional, which I think that most most places like mo- most of the messaging I feel like is pointing to it not being intentional. It makes me wonder if they might have gone, you know, whether it be the 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 pyrotechnics team that they hired or you know what they had planned was maybe even still maybe a little bit too conservative because of the venue um being in daily's place like if you had helped us in like the parking lot of the football stadium or like yeah, something like put that it in an undisclosed location yeah exactly what, sting like, and darby can fight in a dumb warehouse but y'all can't 
Because, like, honestly, like, that adds to the aesthetic of those matches. Like, going back and watching, uh, like, watching Onita and, and Sasuke again. There were uh, helicopter shots. Yes. Like, it makes it so much bigger. Oh, God. It, it just, it, it's it's a pain that they missed that they missed the mark so much. I mean, I guess in retrospect, it. it's good that they didn't hire a helicopter, because imagine that. Oh, God. You know, part of me wishes that they did, and they just immediately were like, oh, we don't need this anymore. <laughs> disavowed it yep. <laughs> no i mean i don't i i know they're gonna try i don't know how you write yourself out of this especially if this was supposed to be like a a, a thing obviously if you're gonna do something like this this is a spot where you write off mox and kingston for a while you know like it, i really wonder what the pivot is going forward from this yeah i mean i guess you know Moxley and Kingston versus Omega and the Good Brothers, but like wonderful, the Good Brothers. <laughs> like, there's no way to do this in a way that like that makes me want to see it. Like, I I want to see Kingston versus versus Omega, but like, I don't know. Like, I'm ready. I like now. I just want this to be over with. Like, I like I want them to move on because like there's like they are they're on rocky ground now like there there is not much fertile soil for this feud in the immediate future like unless they decide we're gonna do it again and this time we're filming it uh in like you know nextel stadium or wherever the jaguars play like if they do that then fantastic like i guess y'all better bring it yeah Um, it's like where do you go from here like where do you go from an exploding ring barbed wire death match i mean I there really is nowhere to no like upward place to go honestly yeah like I mean you I think that they I don't want to like pre, like do a prediction or anything like this but I would me personally I would like to see them try this again sometime down the line if they if they want to and but they have to do it someplace other like outside of Daly's place someplace where they have more room to go bigger with the, with the what they deliver on yeah. uh, and, and honestly wait until like the pandemic travel restrictions lift and let Onita bring his fucking team over let well, I don't o- think Onita's had that team in a while though well I mean yeah but Onita if anybody's going to know people that could execute that to the standards of Onita it's Onita hire like, the Vince McMahon limo explosion people <laughs> I found oh. their website. They exist. Okay. You know what? That's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> that limo explosion looked dope as hell. Yeah. Donald Trump thought Vince McMahon actually died. That's verisimilitude. <laughs> God damn it. Oh. That's you know what? That's a fitting that that is a fitting place to end this conversation, I think. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> Donald Trump, the Vincent Man, actually died. That was AEW Revolution 2021. <laughs> any, <laughs> any, uh, any final thoughts uh, on the show for for you, Colette? Oh, on the show, no. I think comprehensive on it. Yeah, yeah, I, I think so too. Well, thank you again for for stopping by and 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 helping unpack uh, another another aew pay-per-view um let everybody know where they can uh, find you online and read your stuff all right uh you can find me on twitter at colette errand um and uh as mentioned at the top of the show i am now the uh the editor of the wrestling section at fanbite.com uh which is called fan fight 
Um, I've been telling people this for a couple weeks, but if the fan fight Twitter account gets a thousand followers, I will reveal the actual number of people who were at WrestleMania three, uh, putting that to bed forever. <laughs> um, so far, so far, I know that my mom wasn't there. So we're at red zero. <laughs> um, <laughs> the Twitter account there is, uh, is at fan fight. That's F A N F Y T E. Uh, and you can find all of the great wrestling content at Fanbyte uh, uh, at fanbyte.com/wrestling. Uh, please check us out. We are we're trying to do something new and fun uh, with wrestling journalism. We've been doing that for a year and a half now. But uh, you know, now I'm reviewing wrestler mullets and uh, <laughs> trying to teach Sting how to blend his makeup, which he did effectively at at Revolution. That looked good. So, um, so yeah, we're, uh, we're trying to change the game. You should join us, uh, fanbite.com slash wrestling. Yes. And I, I will second that fanbite and fanbite have been a breath of fresh air in, in the wrestling media landscape over that time period. It's been awesome to see. Thank you so much, Colette. Thank you for having me. My thanks once again to Colette for coming on the show and helping me work through this pay-per-view event um although i will say after uh, thinking about it for a minute i don't know if big scoop is going to work as a nickname for paul white considering that <laughs> this entire branding right now is no more bs oh god the shirts are so bad either way AEW revolution is in the rear view for now um and ahead of us on our road through the rest of the month it's all cassandro cup from here until April. Yes, March 28th, the Cassandro Cup airing live on independentwrestling.tv. It's going to be an outstanding show. I can't wait to see it. And we are going to have guests talking about this event coming on for the rest of the month, as well as a review at the end of the month of the show itself, um, because we we have to. It's it's just, it's too exciting not to. But come back next week. We're going to start the our Cassandra Cup series here on the show. Um actually we already kind of got started with AC Mac a few weeks ago. But we'll we're getting some more Cassandra Cup guests on and it's going to be a lot of fun. And I hope you come back and have fun with us. Uh, but that's going to do it for us here this week. Um and until next week. Y'all stay messy. Wash your hands, wear your mask, and a big hello to Edith Surreal. Everybody's ready to die. Bye. Everybody's ready to die. If they didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge, she made a team.